My name is Jeff Dawkins. I'm one of the elders. Pastor Doug is on a much-needed, we'll just say break right now, and I have the privilege to bring God's Word today. For those of you who are here for the first time, we're going to be covering some fun stuff today, I tell you that. And by way of review, to catch you up, for those of you who maybe had missed a Sunday, I want to cover some things for you. We started to look at God's plan for mankind in the series that we're in now, already finished but not yet done, on June 9th. So last week, Pastor Doug explained to us how we can be living as his kingdom comes, and the Lord had revealed his righteous judgments in Revelation 8 through 11. The seventh trumpet sounds, heavens open, remember the, the ark descends, the mercy seat was still available to save sinners. The seventh seal holds underneath it the full seven trumpets, would then hold underneath it the seven bold judgments. And if you remember, Pastor Doug asked, what's the reward for the Christian who endures all of this through the end? And he rightly explained that the goal of our lives is not happiness, but an ever-drawing closeness to Christ-likeness. Trials to endurance, endurance to perseverance, perseverance to hope, and hope will have its perfect result in Romans 5. The focus that Pastor Doug said that I'm going to hammer out again today is that we can't be caught in the details. The details what we're going to see here, and Revelation is a book that has some very strong literal language. It also has some strong figurative language. And the hammering of the details will just leave you flat, as Pastor Doug says. We're going to look at text showing the details today. The real detail, as we heard from my good friend Rob Reed, as was sung by the gals and Mark up here, is that Jesus has one intentional plan. God Father, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, has only ever had one plan. There's no backup. Because there never needed to be. And that walks us perfectly into today's message. So, the question of the day in our habit is... Has there ever been a time when God's assured plan for the redemption of his people for his glory was ever in danger? I'm going to give you this thought, this main idea that the Lord hit me with. God has always had a plan to redeem his people to him through the righteous, loving judgment of Jesus. One of the most important verses in the Bible highlights this truth. It applies to everything from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It's found in 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. And some of the men that I'm in discipleship with will remember this verse. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. And Pastor J.I. Packer, who went to be with the Lord recently, said that these verses are, quote, the key, not merely to the New Testament, but for the whole Bible. For they crystallize into a phrase the sum and substance of its message. Christ the mediator, the creator, sustainer, and the delivery system to bring back reconciliation for the plan that he began in Genesis 1. So we're really going to dive into that today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. One of the men in the back can get you a Bible because we're going to be in the Bible a lot today. For those of you who are ready, open up to Revelation 12. Revelation as Pastor Doug would say, it's to the right of Genesis, all the way to the right, to the end, the last book of the Bible. We're going to be in chapter 12. Now, we're going to be unpacking 
parts of 13 and 14. The daily readings this week actually bring us from Revelation 12 to Revelation 14. I will spend my time today talking through Revelation 12. I'm going to give you some guideposts about 13 and 14, and your daily readings will help unpack that main point of God's judgment and reconciliation through Revelation 18 even. So, let's get started. It's important to give some definitions. Definitions are going to be important to connect this chapter to a main idea. So we're going to talk about some of the characters we're going to see in Revelation 12. We're going to talk about the woman in verses 1 through 6. We're going to talk about the red dragon in verses 3 through 17. And we'll talk about the angel embodied in this fight in verse 7. Now, the woman is the representation of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. It is not the representation of Mary the mother of Jesus. Genesis 37.9 would say, and does, now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. The sun and the moon and the stars are Jacob and Rachel and the twelve sons. The woman is the nation of Israel represented in bringing forth the promise of one plan from the Old Testament all the way to God's reconciliation. Now the red dragon, this is Satan. This is the hater of God and the hater of his people, clearly expressed in verse 9, which says, the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. It's the only time in the Bible where the serpent is called Satan, and it is not an accident. Red is the color of war and death and sin, and intentionally used in Daniel 7-8, through as Pastor Doug explained, and Revelation 17, which shows some descriptive references. Let me just talk through some of these. Seven heads represent the seven mountains that Rome was built on. The ten horns represent ten kingdoms, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. The present kingdom would be Rome. The future kingdom would be that of the beast to bring us to that. The seven crowns are the seven blinding points of illusion in fact, 2 Corinthians 4.4 refers to Satan as the one, quote, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. And lastly, the angel in verse 7. This is the archangel Michael, as stated. It's very specific. Pastor Doug, I was celebrating in the back last week as he talked about this. Consider this. The name Michael, as Pastor Doug says, who is like God? He is the chosen warrior that God chose to use to defeat Satan who wanted to be like God. Could God have gone like this and just taken out Satan? Absolutely. And yet he chose to demonstrate that he is, as Isaiah 14, 14, the most high. In fact, Isaiah 14, 14 is one where Satan says, I will be like the most high. And God uses Michael, who is like God, to crush the one who would be like the Most High. I find that exciting. <laughs> consider the events. So we have the characters now. We set our stage. Now consider the events according to God's original perfect plan. And it's going to follow into our first application point. So our first application, we're going to be in verses 1 through 6 in Revelation 12. The first point, God chose his people in Israel as the pathway to deliver a Savior who would then restore his plan. He started in Genesis. So read with me in verses 1 through 4. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman 
clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. So the highlighting of Israel in verse 1 shows that Israel was chosen in heaven before the beginning of time so that God could work his line through the people of Abraham. And as Pastor Doug has said numerous times before, and people up here have also commented, how many specific events had to occur in order, the right place, time, and manner for this to occur? It's not in my notes, but if you were to look at the promises of the Bible compared to the promises of any other claimed text, you have over 26,000 26, fulfilled promises pointed out in Scripture that have come true. God's intentional. And His one preserving plan we're going to unwrap here. The dragon, Satan, was there in heaven also, as this was determined. And we want to be clear about that. As you remember back in Job, Satan comes up to the throne room of God. So obviously he had access still to that. And the word says, the Lord looks at him and says, where have you been? He said, I've been prowling the earth. And the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? And you remember the scene, and the Lord has to give him permission to do anything. So this dragon, Satan, was there in heaven from the beginning. It was the absolute perfect place for him to be because that's where he started his rebellion, to be like God. Now look at verses 5 and 6. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. The Christ is the child, and his birth was bestowed on him from the beginning to be the righteous ruler of us all. He was given tribulation under the birth of Israel. He evaded the destruction of the dragon through Satan that tried to use Herod, remember? He grew, and for 30 years he evaded destruction. And then he ascends to heaven, where he rules now, and he's going to rule on earth again when he returns. Amen? Amen. And when Jesus ascended, Israel started undergoing persecution as a people, and that's what these verses talk about. And this has continued to the present time. I don't turn on the news, but the things that I can't help but be saturated with, talk about the struggle of Israel and God's chosen people as a direct reflection of this persecution. In fact, most of the New Testament was written during this persecution that started. And yet God's good plan, according to his will, carved out a spot of refuge for Israel so that she's kept ready for the bridegroom Jesus. And really, it's no different for us today. We labor in faith with the Holy Spirit of Christ living in us as believers, and yet we undergo persecutions. Just this week alone, consider, I personally, and this isn't to mention any of you that have conversations, have talked to someone facing bankruptcy, have talked to someone facing a massive drug overdose and died and was brought back on scene two days ago by officers. 
I have seen people struggle in marriages. I've seen families give up, bring the 17-year-old child to a police station and say, I don't want him anymore. That's persecution. And it's also a pathway because God's righteous plan was given in that moment. And I had a chance to be able to talk to people about God's plan who looked at me confused and left hopefully with a sign of peace. And it's not up to us to determine God's time or his plan. It is God's time and his plan, but we do trust that he does have a plan. So if you find yourself in the midst of trouble, in the midst of financial trouble, in the midst of pain, in the midst of uncertainty, you're not alone. And unfortunately, our culture likes to tell us that we're all snowflakes and special. You're not special. You're not special in that way. You're special because God himself calls you a son and daughter of his. That makes you special. We are not going through anything that the world has not seen and the Lord has not already overcome. That's truth. In Revelation chapter 13, you'll read verse 9. It is a huge, huge deal to John who writes, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Because once people hear the truth and open their eyes to the lies around them, they take a side in the fight. And you look at our world today. Listen, abortion is being celebrated as righteous. Gender identity is being cursed. Violence is on the rise. And how do you answer the call to that fight? Because by doing and saying nothing, you do and say everything. So we saw in the first verses that God chose Israel as a pathway to deliver Jesus as God, then reveals his blueprint to us on how his plan begins. Now, look at the enemy's response in our second point, verses 7 through 12. I call this unlimited power, resources, and time for Satan can never stop God from restoring himself to his people. Follow along with me in verses 7 through 10. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Verse 7 identifies God's chief angel, Michael, as leading the fight against Satan and his angels. God allows Michael, as we talked about, to defeat Satan to further highlight that no one, nothing, ever can take away the image-bearing attribute of God. And in that way, verse 8 shows that they're not even strong enough to contend with the plans of Christ. And so they're cast out of heaven. And so this is where the corollary of that battle, the desire of Adam and Eve to have the knowledge of God, the struggles of trusting my own path above the Lord's path are all seen. And all of it centers around us or something wanting to be God. We want to be God. You say you don't, but you do. I do. And they certainly did. And this is why it clearly shows that the serpent of old called the devil and Satan connects the heavenly rebellion to the earthly one. It's important to remember as you look and you're trying to figure out what does it say, what does it mean, how does it apply, and as you look at Scripture, what's the context? It is a big deal here to look at people, Revelation 12, connecting the heavenly rebellion with the earthly one. 
We are not different. And the Lord has already had victory in the heaven. He will have victory on earth. Verses 11 and 12. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life, even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. One of the prayers that we did, or that I heard in pre-service prayer, was about the blood of the Lamb, the word of his testimony. And that the accuser, you know what an accuser does? An accuser says everything that you have done is wrong. It can be one sibling to another to mom and dad. I'm sure none of you have ever experienced that. It certainly is the devil and his minions to the angels and the Lord about us. I'm living a clean life. Look at me, I dress well. And yet, I have a porn addiction. Look at me, I have a great life and I make a ton of money. And yet I can't stop taking pain meds over and over again. Look at me, look at me, look at me. I want to be the image of God. And I'm not God. And that's our struggle and our sin that can derail so many. And sin does wonderful things for you. Let me tell you, it tricks you. It tempts you. It torments you. And then it traps you in its grip. But by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony, we overcame. Years ago, our theme of our retreat was overcomers because of this. Jesus' blood bought ransom for our sin was always the plan, people. The word of his testimony is the driven, disciple-making, faith-fueled lives that we live on earth until he returns. Amen? Look at the encouragement you're going to see this week found in chapter 14 as I highlight what verse 7 brings out. Revelation chapter 14, verse 7 says, part of it, the hour of his judgment has come. This is listed under the idea of the harvest judgment. Some of you will remember that Matthew 9.37 says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest judgment will be made complete when Jesus himself ends the battle with Satan that started in heaven as he rips out the vine of the earth. That's in verse 18 of chapter 14. So consider what we're talking about here. Satan has had his time as the vine of the earth to intoxicate people on the drunkenness of sin with his poison grapes, but the heavenly vine you see in John 15 can rise up and fill the space that Jesus then rightly deserves. That's the imagery we're seeing here in Revelation. That's what we're looking at. Isaiah 63, 2-5 reads, and I'm going to read the whole thing. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads in the wine press? I've trodden the wine trough alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments. And I stained all my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption has come. And listen, I looked and there was no one to help. 
And I was astonished, and there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. Be encouraged, be strengthened, and be challenged by this. And listen, if you haven't opened your Bible since last Sunday, or if you haven't made time to pray, or if you haven't given a thought to how God is working all around you right now, or if you hear this message, and maybe for the first time in your life, you think, I don't have all the answers. I'm not God. If you hear that you can't pay the price of the harvest that's coming with anything you can buy, any job that you may have, any title in front of your name or any letters behind your name, if you think that money can save you, if you think that status is your friend, then today is the day that you can give that up and give your heart to Christ. You can make the change to follow Jesus. You just have to, in your heart, ask him in to be the Lord and Savior, which he is in your life. As you heard Rob Reed say, when you make that change, it changes everything. If you have any questions about it, I beg you, talk to me. Talk to me after. So I can share with you what Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, has done in my life and my family's. <coughs> Remember, the only thing that hangs in the balance is everything. So, with Israel now, as the promised people to deliver Jesus against the enemy that has unlimited power and resources that still can't win, Revelation 12 resolves in the final verses with what mankind has lived with since this heavenly battle actually began back in time. The last application, verses 13 through 17, I've called... The entire message of the Bible is not about the created, but the creator. And no plan of the enemy will overshadow his glory. Look at verses 13 and 14 and read along with me. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Some of you will remember the imagery from Daniel that we see brought out here. Verse 13, to go back, Satan was so utterly defeated by Michael, he actually had to take a minute and recognize that he had been thrown to earth in a moment. So surprising is God's amazingness that the great serpent was overcome in an instant and couldn't even believe what happened. And verse 14 says, Even as Israel is carried away in safety from the attacks of the enemy on the two wings of the great eagle, you see the connection of the Old Testament promise come through. Listen to some of these verses. And as an aside, on the job, I work as a police sergeant, and I have affectionately titled myself the Eagle of Justice. <laughs> Wait for a second. You think it's funny, and I'm going to read some verses about why eagles are important, and you too can call yourself little eaglets for the Lord. That wasn't in the notes. Exodus 19, verse 4 says, God delivered Israel from Egypt on eagles' wings. Deuteronomy 32, 11 through 12, God cared for the people in the wilderness as an eagle would for her young. 
Isaiah 40, 31, that was read in our prayer. Israel's promised and protected return from captivity was like mounting up on wings like eagles. Now, jump back into verses 15 and 16 in Revelation 12 and follow along. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. That's verse 15. The phrase, water like a river, or flood, one of the strongest parallels you can see if you're taking notes. You should write this down and follow up with it later. Psalm 124. Let me read Psalm 124 and listen to the parallel. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side? Let Israel now say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have been swallowed alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. Psalm 124. The enemy could have been bringing back the flood judgment that we saw in Genesis 6, trying where the Lord, remember this? The Lord saw that the entire countenance of the earth was evil. And yet only Noah was saved as a man being righteous. He sent a flood. Kids, do you remember what the rainbow means? God's promises to never destroy the earth again by water. Why is that significant? Look at where we were. The enemy could have done anything. Could have been recorded in Revelation 12 that... He decided to do what he did to Job, give him boils, take away his family, take away his livestock, his money, his resources. No, the enemy, in his wisdom, decided to go ahead and send a flood that God already promised would never happen. I think it's funny. The enemy believes he has power and resorts to his old tricks again and gets stomped into hell every single time. Amen. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children, in verse 17, who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. So verse 17, when Satan can't get to Israel now directly, because she'd been mounted up on wings like an eagle, he went after those claiming the name and as the image bearers of God. Ephesians 5, 19 through 21, the deeds of the flesh, this is how the enemy tries to go ahead and get us, the image bearers of God, spun up. It's talked about Revelation 6 and the Great Tribulation. That's what this is about. This is what the enemy's looking at. Now, let me take you back a little bit of history here. About the time of Genesis, Job was written. People believe Job was written about that time. And I talked about Job. It's a great parallel to Revelation. And it's considered one of the wisdom literatures. And as I do study, I'm listening to people talk about Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Proverbs, here's the right thing to do, the right place at the right time. Good practical wisdom. Ecclesiastes, this is great. And yet sometimes uh, it doesn't really work out. Job's like, I am that sometime. My whole life it didn't work out. And no one ever told me why. And yet it's considered wisdom. And we look at how Satan had access to God and to man in the same way that he does now. And yet Satan is still a servant to God. Even the way he tries to get at us in Revelation shows he is a servant to God. He's only going to do what God's already defeated. I love that. Every path of destruction 
that the enemy takes to make war on those who hold fast to the testimony of Jesus has to be approved by God. And we know the Lord never gives us more than we can handle. Job watched everything he had in life get destroyed. And near the end in Job 42, verse 2, Job confesses his absolute lack of understanding to God as to why he would allow any of this stuff to happen. So if you want to have a conversation later about why God chooses to have good and evil in the world, I don't know I'm not God and neither are you. Listen to what Job says though. I know that thou canst do all things and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. So to follow, have you ever asked that question, why does God allow pain and suffering? As a police officer for 20 years, I've seen it get worse and worse and worse. And I confess I've asked that question. And the truth of God quickly reminds me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Lord has his path. And these are my steps. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. God created all life on this planet and in everywhere. Every space you can conceive in your mind, God was there first and created it. Mankind was to be the perfect representative as the image bearer of God with the command in Genesis to rule over everything that was created, essentially to cultivate the garden in the whole world. And when that was abandoned by Adam and Eve, the potential completeness which is what the word perfect in Hebrew means. It was destroyed. Any chance of purity without sin also left in that moment. And yet God outside of time looks at that, inhales, and as he exhales, it's the entirety of the whole Bible story. It's in that moment that God brings reconciliation. Our loving God does all things to manifest his glory for his glory. We are welcome and loving beneficiaries of that glory. He loves us so much, he gives us his grace and mercy. In that, while we were still sinners, Christ sent his son, Jesus, to die for us and not just wipe us out and start over, which he could do. So if you're his then, God specifically and intentionally chose you. Again, not my notes, but let me ask this question. Anybody want to be taller? Thinner, have more hair, <laughs> have less hair. I don't know. You have all these things that you want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want this, I want that. You are saying that you are not the image of God who made you in his perfect completeness for times such as this. It could be that someone wants to come to me and say, why are you this way? I don't know, because five foot nine seemed to be the exact right height for me at the time. I'm 5'9", too. I, too, can... You know what I mean? We have our own purpose. And God's own plan is to bring that purpose to light to show His glory, okay? So you got to remember that. God so loves the world that He gave us His only Son. And listen to the intentionality. He is so intentional. God preserves the line of Jesus in our redemption as far back in the Old Testament. Listen to this. The enemy had almost completely destroyed the line of Christ. Completely just, it was down to one person, Josiah, 2 Kings 21-24. Listen, then the people of the land killed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. And the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his place. 
Josiah is in the line of Christ. He was the last person where a bottleneck. Remember what I said in the beginning. What had to happen to get from Genesis to Revelation to one eight-year-old boy? Can God use you? Yeah. God can use you. You see, because God always had a plan to redeem his people to him through the righteous, loving judgment of Jesus. Christ is our mediator. And he's the perfect defeat to any plan of the enemy because the holy righteousness of God loves his children. So in summary, as I close, God chose his people in Israel as a pathway to deliver a savior who would restore his plan at the start in Genesis. And then with unlimited power, resources, and time for Satan, he can never stop God from restoring himself to his people. And lastly, the entire mess of the Bible is not about the created, but the creator and no plan of the enemy will ever overshadow that glory. So take time this week in your readings to pray and reflect on how God is continuing to work his perfect plan in your life. And take the confident assurance that the work he started in you will be brought to completion because as Pastor Jeff was praying earlier today as well, no word of God ever returns back void without accomplishing the purpose for which it was sent the same forever God that's orchestrating the return of Jesus in Revelation 12 through 14 will return back everything that he desires. His word will succeed in the matter that it was sent. <sighs> Take a breath. A lot of what I talked about today, I understand, can be confusing. And I do encourage you to be a student of the word. Pastor Doug believes he has a single soapbox. It's a big one. So listen, as I say, get in the Word of God every day. Read for yourselves what I'm talking about. Be Berean. The Bereans said, they checked to see what Paul said was true, examining it against the Scripture. If you hear something today that's not in line with God's Word, then you don't hold the man that gave it as truth. You hold the absolute authority as truth. But you wouldn't know that truth unless you get in the Word. Amen? Thank you. I'm not browbeating you. I'm encouraging you because here's why. I was saved at 30 years old. And when my son was 11 and I'm pouring my third drink of the night, he said, Dad, is that bad for you? And on January 27th, 2017 was my last drop of alcohol. As I told him, yeah, it is. And every reconciliation of the promises of God came to my heart at that time as my wife's crying and my kids are looking at me in tears as I'm dumping out hundreds of dollars of alcohol down my drain. Because it doesn't matter. And what mattered was the Word of God. And that fire in me that I thought was being filled to be the image of God was now filled by God Himself in His Word. I was a Christian already. I was already in. Salvation assured, it's written in the Bible, says it, praise him, raise him. And yet, my life was not a representation of the image of God. So I was able to purify some of that stuff out. And he still has a lot of work in me to do, as he does in you as well. Get in his word. Get in discipleship. Get in accountability with each other. You're sitting in the same spot. You should see it from our point of view when we look up here. We all sit in the same spots at church. So you're in accountability with that bench row. You say hi when Pastor Jeff says greet somebody. You all turn to the same people and say hi, hi again, right? Right. But what are we doing through the week? 
Are we praying for the people? Are we in God's word? Are we calling up somebody and saying, you know what, the Lord brought you to mind. It's not weird to do that. And for those of you who did it this week to me, I thank you so much. The Bible says in Proverbs that a kind word in a perfect time is like an apple in settings of gold. You just don't know what you don't know. And you can't find that out unless you get into his word and then get his word into you. All right, I'll get off the soapbox now. The Bible story, as we've seen, is rich and amazing. You will never get to the bottom of God's treasure. So as you walk into communion, I can't really think of a better way to set our grateful hearts where they should be than to confess, which is agree, with God as he gave Jesus so we could rightly be and bear God's image. Let's pray. Father God, in this time, in this place, and in this way, your message of redeeming salvation is real. And it's as real today as it was when you let Michael cast out the enemy from heaven and threw him to earth. And as you stand in the vision of Isaiah with only the lower half of your body in man's space, in the upper half of your body, in God's space, you tabernacle with us, and your tabernacle is your Holy Spirit inside of us. Salvation is not for the weak, but it is for everyone. Your word says that you desire no one to go to hell, that you would desire your people to return, as the invocation said, to you. So Lord, I pray for the person, the one person today that hears this and says, yes, Lord. I can't do it. I don't know why I can't do it. But I know I need you. And as it was sung, Jesus is the victory. And it's his wonderful, matchless name I pray. Amen.